shed for me. What a sacrifice that saved my life. Yes, the blood, it is my victory. Oh 
Lamb is overcome. We sing hallelujah. We sing hallelujah. We sing hallelujah. The Lamb is overcome. Forever He is glorified. Forever He is lifted high. Forever He is risen. He is alive. He is alive. He is alive. God is able. He will never fail. He is almighty God. Greater than all we see. Greater than all we ask. He has done great things. Lifted up. He defeated the grave. Raised to life. Our God is able. In his name we overcome. For the Lord our God is able. God is with us. God is on our side. He will make a way. Far above all we know, far above all we hope. He has done great things, lifted up. He defeated the grave, raised to life. Our God is able, in His name we overcome. For the Lord, our God is able, lifted up. He defeated the grave, raised to life. Our God is a 
Be faithful, faithful. 
Good morning, church. It is great to see everyone here this morning. Uh, let's all stand as we begin our worship with song. Hosanna, you're my king. I worship and I sing. I lift your holy name upon high. I worship and adore. Sing praise forevermore. My Jesus, my Savior, Lord, there is none like you. All of my days I want to praise the wonders of your mighty love. My comfort, my shelter, tower of refuge and strength. Let every breath, all that I am, never cease to worship you. Shout to the Lord, all the earth, let us sing. Power and majesty, praise to the King. Mountains bow down and the seas will roar at the sound of your name. I sing for joy at the work of your hands. Forever I'll love you, forever I'll stand. Nothing compares to the promise I have in you. Please be seated. Again, welcome. Uh, we're so happy to have everyone here with us this morning. Um, we do have a few announcements as we get started. Uh, first of all, please take a moment and fill out uh, an attendance card. Uh, you should find those, at the, the pew in front of you. If you would fill those out, pass those into the aisles, uh, and Mickey will be around to pick those up here in just a second, so we have record of your attendance. Um, Easter Sunday, Easter Sunday, join us at 10 a.m. on Easter Sunday, and we're going to celebrate Easter. Uh, we're also going to celebrate the opening of our mission field. You can see there's been a lot of progress out on the mission field, and that should be all ready to go come Easter Sunday. Um, we will have worship, we'll have an egg hunt, uh, and a lot of activities for the kids and just fun for families in general. Um, if you still haven't downloaded the new church app, please take a moment, scan the QR code uh, on the screen. We do have that QR code on the screen. Uh, I believe it's in the bulletin as well. Uh, over 130 people have downloaded it so far. Uh, you have access to the church directory. Uh, and birthdays, but you'll need a password in order to do that. The password will be in the Monday connection, the Thursday email, or ask a staff member, and they can get you the password as well. Um, we're still collecting funds for the Ukraine humanitarian relief. 
Uh, if you'd like to donate, you can give online. You can put your donation into the wooden box in the foyer, or you can give it to Angela. Uh, please make sure you mark it as Ukraine Humanitarian Relief. As of Friday, we have collected $93,624. Um, that's good. I believe that is all of our announcements this morning, uh, so let's pray. Dear Lord, uh, we come before you just thanking you as always that we have this opportunity where we can meet uh, in fellowship with one another, Lord, and just praise and worship you. Um, Lord, just ask that you just continue to be present uh, just worldwide with all of those that are just needing you in their lives. There's, there's so many that are hurting. Uh, there are so many that are sick. Uh, there are so many uh, that are just lost right now, Lord. I pray that you, uh, you send your spirit and, and just help guide us to also be a light to those around us uh, that just need you and desire you so much, uh, whether or not they even realize it, Lord. Um, Lord, we just thank you for all the blessings that you place in our life every day. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's take about a minute. Uh, please stand, greet those around you, uh, say hi to some people this morning, uh, and then we'll continue in song here in just a moment. All right, please remain standing uh, as we continue in our worship this morning. Come, let us all unite to sing God is love. Let heaven and earth their praises bring God is love. Let every soul from sin awake. Each in his heart sweet music make And sing with us for Jesus' sake For God is love God is love God is love Come let us all unite to sing that God God is love, his blood. 
blood has washed our sins away. His Spirit turned our night to day. And now we can rejoice to say that God is love. God is love. God is love. Come, let us all unite to sing that God is love. How happy is our portion here. God is love. His promises our spirits cheer. God is love. He is our sun and shield by day. Our help, our hope, our strength and stay. He will be with us all the way. Our God is love. God is love. God is love. Come, let us all unite to sing that God is love. Love one another, for love is of God. He who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God. For God is love, God is love, love bears all things, believes all things,
please be seated. Um, following this song, we will be partaking in the Lord's Supper. Uh, so if you didn't get an opportunity to grab one of the communion packets uh, in the back when you came in, uh, please just raise your hand. And uh, Larry and George will be happy to bring one around to you. We gather here in Jesus' name. His love is burning in our hearts like living flame. For through the loving Son, the Father makes us one. Come take the bread, come drink the wine, come share the Lord. No one is a stranger here. Everyone belongs. Finding our forgiveness here, he in turn forgive all wrongs. He joins us here, he breaks the bread. The Lord who pours the cup is risen from the dead. The one we love the most is now our gracious host. Come take the bread, come drink the wine, come share the Lord. We are now a family of which the Lord is. In the breaking of the bread, we'll gather soon where angels sing. We'll see the glory of our Lord and coming King. Now we anticipate the feast for which we wait. Come take the bread, come drink the wine, come share the Lord. Good morning. It has been a fun week at our house. Um, I'm going to embarrass my kids maybe a little bit here, but... Uh, we, we got PSAT and SAT scores back this week. Um, you guys got this too, probably. A few of you know what that is, the college admissions and all that. And, 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 and yes, it matters, and no, it doesn't at the same time. Um, in our family, we like to compare what, what I got 20-something years ago when I took the test, what my wife got when she got 20-something years ago. Um, and those comparisons are kind of fun. Now, Benjamin's in eighth grade, Jordan's in 11th, so already they're taking the two different tests, and, and, and Benjamin's not quite where Jordan is either, but, you know, you got three years to go. There'll be time, um, and, and, and it's funny because the, what really matters there are the percentiles, and you know the scores are down the page, and then you've got the 99th, and then the 95th, and whatever, all the way down to, to, to whatever is the lowest score, and it's those percentiles that help you compare. And so we've been talking a lot about percentiles um, today so they can compare against the kids their own age and whatnot. Um, even though 99 percentile is the highest, it's not the perfect score. You, you've got to have like an 800 on, on each section or a 1600 on your, 
on your, on your SAT to have the perfect score, but you can still have a lower score and, and, and have the 99th percentile. And we're trying to tell our kids, 99 is not good enough. <laughs> go, go for perfect, right? You got to go all the way to the top. Um, be the, be the, you know, being the 1% isn't enough. Um, you got to be a little higher. Um, transition now to, uh, you're, you're going to see in the news, and you may have even seen it already, we talked in class today about the 1% in America um, when it comes to taxes and incomes, um, and, and how those taxes are probably going to change a little bit in the next few, uh, few, few cycles. Um, there's a lot of focus on the top 1%. And, 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 and a lot of data that says it's got, I think it's that the income level is 550000 or something per year of income. Puts you in the top 1% of, of taxpayers in, in, the, uh, in the country. Um, if you Google 1%, you'll, you'll see all the data on it. Um, and I, I, I've thought a lot about percentiles, the 99 and 1. You guys remember the Bible story about the 99 and 1. It's in Matthew chapter 18. If you have your Bibles, I'd ask you to flip over. Um, the context is this. There's a group of children, and the, argu- the, the, the disciples are arguing, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Who's, who's got it all? And Jesus answers them by calling a little child to him and saying, unless you become like these little children, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. And he finishes it, I'll start in verse 10, with this parable. See that you do not look down on one of these little ones, for I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. What do you think if a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away? Will he not leave the ninety-nine in the hills and go look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, I tell you the truth, he is happier about that one sheep and about the 99 that did not wander off. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should be lost. Now, at first I thought I can use this story to tell my kids, perfect, go for a perfect score. He wants all 100. He's not satisfied with the 99%. That really misses the point, though, right? We're preoccupied as a country and as parents with the top 1%. Jesus flips it around, says, I'm preoccupied by the bottom 1%. I want to know about that lost one, and I care about that lost one. And when I find it, I rejoice and throw a party. Think of the flip side of that income distribution, right? The $550,000 a year earners, that's the top 1%. What's the bottom 1%? Who's not making any money? The homeless. Those that are in jail. The data says that there's a couple of million people right now that are incarcerated in the U.S. and aren't making any money. So let's throw the criminals into that bottom 1%. Homeless, children. Does Jesus care about criminals? Luke 23, verse 39 You know this story, but I'll read it for you. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. 
But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence. We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth. Today you will be with me in paradise. Not only during this communion time, I ask you to think about Jesus' focus and love and care for the bottom 1%, but also as the debates rage this next week, this next election cycle. We're preoccupied with the top, but we serve a God who asks us to be preoccupied with the bottom 1%. Will you join me in prayer? Father, we thank you for your word and the teaching that it gives us. And we pray that we allow our minds and our hearts to be moved with the same compassion that you showed the individuals, the little children who gathered, those who, who were outcast in society and who were unloved, and yet you loved them. Help us to, to, to change our behavior to follow you. And we're grateful that even as you hung on the cross, you remembered those who were guilty, who were, who were, who were beside your son and, and, uh, and, and, and the compassion that he had on them. We are uh, we're moved and inspired, and we pray that as we take this communion this morning, uh, we reflect on how we can serve and love those who are in the bottom 1% as you did. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Oh, sacred head now wounded with grief and shame weighed down now scornfully surrounded with thorns thy only crown how art thou Father, we continue this prayer and this time of communion, and we remember the blood of your son as he died on the cross, and we are grateful how it washes away our sins and brings us into a right relationship with you so that we can, uh, we can enjoy the fellowship with you and with this community of believers and, and again, have the hope of, of life eternal with you. Be with us as we take this cup. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. What language shall I borrow to thank thee, dearest friend, for this thy dying sorrow, thy pity without end? Oh, 
As we uh, uh, transition into our, our contribution, and especially uh, allow the, the children to come down and, and drop money on their way out to uh, mini-worship, uh, we, we, a few of us um, received a newsletter and an update from, from our friends in Ukraine. I, I don't think it's been shared with the church yet, and I'm sorry, we can certainly do that soon. Um, but, but Anya is, is doing a great job of writing an update and sharing pictures of the things that are going on. We've talked about the, the contributions that we've raised, and there's a trip planned. Um, Ron, Dan, and Mickey, and, and, uh, and Ron's daughter are planning to go to Ukraine. Um, not to Ukraine, hopefully not to Ukraine, to Poland <laughs> or, or, or Romania nearby, um, and, and share the gifts that, that we've collected here. Um, but I'll tell you already, they found a van, and they're working on the van, and I've seen pictures of it, and it's a beater, <laughs> but, but it's, it's, a, it's a work in progress, and they're filling that van up constantly and getting materials from the border back to Lviv and ivano Frankivsk, and they've even taken it all the way to Zaporizhia, I think, and it's, it's the city in the very center of, of, of Ukraine that's, that's in the middle of, of uh, I guess, in the middle of the country, not directly involved with some of the conflict, but, but they're making 20-hour drives back and forth and able to deliver a, a lot of material, and I think we're going to talk about buying another van so they can do even more. So there's great work happening right now with the funds that we're collecting. And, and at the bottom of, of Anya's newsletter, she asks for some specific prayers. Um, and I will uh, honor that request today as we, as we um, offer a prayer for our communion and for the work that's going on overseas. So will you join me, please? Father in heaven, we thank you for the ability that our church has to give and, and, and to love and to serve in ways that, that most other churches in this world cannot. And we're even more grateful for the willingness of, of our, our, our friends in Ukraine and our missionaries there to, to put um, their, their, their name and their lives and their hands uh, on the line as they work to do humanitarian and even gospel work there in their part of the world. We pray that you bless their efforts. We pray that you protect them as they drive back and forth um, take families one way and, and groceries and goods and, and things the other way. Please be with them and give them peace and comfort. We pray that, that, that people repent and they see uh, the, the, the opportunities and the willingness of these Christian servants, that their hearts are softened and changed as a result. We pray for the cities and the people that are affected in Mariupol and Kiev and Kharkiv and Cherinyev and Sumi and Nikolaev and others that are, that are in, in the middle of the worst of, of the attacks. We pray for the families that are separated um, and, and that the, the mothers and children will get to see their uh, fathers and husbands soon. And Father, we pray especially that the war will end and, and that you will act in, in ways that, uh, that, that the world is not expecting and that you will, uh, you will bring peace to that area. We're grateful also for our, our family here, and especially these children who are giving funds to help the, the, the children in, in Nicaragua. And, and we pray for, uh, for Mission Paracristo and their continued success as, as, uh, as, they, as they love and serve the, the children there. I pray all these things in your son's name. Amen. 
Thank you, Lord, for loving me, and thank you, Lord, for blessing me. Thank you, Lord, for making me whole and saving my soul. Thank you, Lord, for loving me. Thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. I, uh, with Michael up here, I appreciate what he had to say. I think he's being generous, saying that it's been at least 20 years of comparison on <laughs> SAT and PSAT scores. Um, and I, I appreciate him saying that because I've never began to feel older than I do today because today I know is Mickey's birthday and a few others' birthdays in here, but it is my daughter's 16th birthday. <laughs> and yeah. She, uh, she came, we came here when she was 16 months old, and now she's 16, um, and, and her and her mother are, we, we surprised her with the trip to New York, so that's where they are, so when you see me trying to handle that little one over there, pray for me for the next few days, but they're, they're having a good old time. I appreciate what Michael Seibert said about um, the mission field. It will be done on Easter. And if you haven't gone over there, take your car over there and check it out. It looks great. The grass got blown in uh, this last week, and so it's starting to look green and look good. And we are excited about Easter. We are doing everything out on the mission field for Easter. We're worshiping outside. Uh, We are having bounce houses out there. We're doing the Easter egg hunt that we normally do on Saturday. We're doing that on Sunday. Uh, And beginning next week, you're going to see a lot of, you're going to see a hard push for two weeks. Uh, to invite neighbors, to invite friends. We're hoping we're going to get it out to the neighborhood uh, and the apartments over here to get as many people as we can to to come for Easter. It's a great day to celebrate uh, the resurrection of Jesus, the end of you reading Mark, which should be a celebration, and uh, this, this project that we've been kind of working on for two years to see it come to fruition. And so I really encourage you to be here uh, April 17th as we, as, we celebrate, as we celebrate Easter and just celebrate kind of uh, a new moment in our church's history as we kind of begin to uh, utilize this, this, uh, this, this mission field back here uh, and see how Jesus is going to bless that as well. Um, so with all that, let's stand up. And we are going to read from Mark 12. 1 through 12, I promise we will not talk taxes today. Then he began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard, put a fence around it, dug a pit for the wine press, and built a watchtower. Then he leased it to tenants and went to another country. When the season came, he sent a slave to the tenants to collect from them his share of the produce of the vineyard. But they seized him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. And again, he sent another slave to them. This one they beat over the head and insulted. Then he sent another, and that one they killed. And so it was with many others. Some they beat, and others they killed. He had still one other, a beloved son. Finally, he sent him him to them, saying, They will respect my son. But those tenants said to one another, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they seized him. 
killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What then will the owner do of the vineyard? What will the owner do of the vineyard? He will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. Have you not read the scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And this was the Lord's doing, and it is amazing in our eyes. When they had realized that he had told this parable against them, they wanted to arrest him. But they feared the crowd, so they left him and went away. Father, we thank you for this morning and this time to be together. And Lord, we pray in these moments that you open our hearts and minds. And Lord, may your spirit work in us and transform us more into your image. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. So as I said today, uh, we, we won't be looking at taxes, we won't be looking at the resurrection, we will not be looking at what it looks like uh, if you die, if you'll get remarried, all kinds of fun things like that. Uh, I've been, this text over the last seven to eight days, and I was texting Britt, and he was just asking me what I was looking at, and I said, well, this is what I'm looking at, but who knows where it's going to land, because I've been going in circles for the last about five days in writing. So this is the best attempt I can do with Mark 12. As we remember, Mark 11 closes with the temple authority, those who fear the crowd, questioning Jesus and questioning him about his perceived authority of the people of God. Uh, the episode Mark plays out in Mark 11, 27 through 33, ends kind of in a draw with neither Jesus nor the Jewish leadership giving an inch on uh, this authority question. The temple leadership is now ready, is now set to expose Jesus as the messianic fraud, while Jesus will take to the task of shedding light on corrupt leadership. So we kind of see chapter 12 coming to a head. The parable by Jesus today is anything but a subtle shot at the temple leadership. The leadership does not need to go into a back room to interpret what Jesus has just said. It's squarely upon them. As the theologian Gary Charles says about the parable, by telling this parable, in the confines of the Jerusalem temple, Jesus stares down those in power and throws the gauntlet of religious imag imagination and authority. This is squarely at the three groups of people that are now have been attacking Jesus from the very beginning. And what we see is that the parable of Mark 12 echoes that of Old Testament imagery and symbolism. The vineyard that we read about in this parable, like the fig tree, remember the fig tree from last week, is an allusion to Israel and its people. The parable Jesus tells us in the temple borrows from Isaiah 5, 1 through 7, which is known as the song of the vineyard. And if we read the last verse of that song, this is what the prophet says. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the people of Judah are his planting, are his pleasant planting. He expected justice, but saw bloodshed, righteousness, but heard a cry. When we read this, we see that Israel has strayed from its mission. When the prophet closes with, he expected justice, but saw bloodshed. Righteousness, but heard crying. God had planted the people in his vineyard to be a people bearing the fruits of God to the world. We remember Israel's mission. You're going to be a light to the nations. 
Those in authority, the tenants of the parable, would be the ones entrusted with tending to the vineyard of the Lord. They were the stewards of justice and righteousness, and yet all that could be found was bloodshed and weeping. God had desired for Israel to be different than the other nations around it. The people of God would play by different rules. They would use power in a different direction. And now Jesus finds himself clashing with those very tenants in his father's vineyard. The same tenants in the parable who are constantly acting violently towards the owner's emissaries. And as we read the story, we notice that it progressively becomes more violent. I mean, those entrusted with the vineyard believe that they now own the vineyard, They are the ones in authority, and it is they who get to make the decisions, not the owner. We see this come to a head in the story when the owner decides to send his, as we read in verse 12, 6, his beloved son. That word, beloved son, should prick our ears a bit. Something's going on here. And when we read this parable, that part right there feels a bit absurd by the owner, doesn't it? I mean... A personal army sounds more like it than sending your beloved son. Instead, we get this vision of patience by the owner. We get this vision of long-suffering by the landowner. After everything else the tenants have done, the landowner is still willing to give them a chance. Mary Ann Tolbert writes this about the scene. For modern readers, so for us... The centuries of familiarity with the image have kind of diluted this absurd charity of endangering a relative in order to give murderers a final chance to turn around. We kind of miss that as we keep reading it. This absurd charity. The landowner exerts power, but it's power in a different way. Remember, he should have sent an army. Instead, he sends his son. There is a slow-to-anger kind of value that's being worked into this story. But the tenants have exchanged justice for bloodshed. By whatever means necessary, they will keep what is not theirs. They're going to have it. The tenants' values are in their own way playing off the quote in some absurd nature. They believe that by killing the son of the landowner, that the land will now somehow become theirs. As if it's not the landowners anymore once they kill the son. That they will now possess the land. And and these violent actions of the tenants are a stark difference in the parable when we compare it to the reaction of the landowner. By their reaction to the sun, the tenants are unmasked. The sun comes in unmasked, pulls off the veil of whatever the tenants are, and we see the lengths in which they will go to keep their power and to keep their privilege. And so what I think we begin to see in this chapter is this battle of power being played out with every interaction. The temple elites, the scribes, the chief priests, and the elders, and their desire to hold on to power is shown through their confrontation and challenge with Jesus throughout this chapter. They want what they have, and they will do anything to maintain it as we begin to see now and through the close of the gospel letter. 
Jesus has just pulled the curtains back on their motives. He's just pulled the curtains back on their hearts. And it's in this parable where we begin to see the clash between the way of God, the way of God in the world, and the actual way of the world. The way of peace and self-giving love and mercy versus this way of violence. And we'll get back to that word violence here in a minute. It's this internal, eternal struggle that we constantly see in the world. And so when Jesus announces in Mark 1.15, I've told you that the kingdom of God has come near, it's an announcement of God's power, a new power in the world against the old power that we see at play in the tenants. And yet, while we think that God in the flesh would be good news to the world, the temple elite show us the alternative. Jesus is a threat to their very way of being. The way Jesus calls us to live is a threat to, let's be honest, even today in the discussion we had in class, it's hard, and it can be a threat to how we like to live and what we value as most important. I mean, we're seeing it today, are we not? Let's just be honest. I mean, we're seeing it in the developments of the world. One country has decided that it has a power over another country. And it's going to get to decide its future. And we see it every day on the news. We see it every day on our phones. We see it every day on our computers. How this power has manifested itself. Violence. Violence is the way you maintain, you show off, and you hold on to power. And beneath all of this, and I don't know if you know this, beneath all of this is kind of this unholy alliance between the state and the Russian Orthodox Church. Just in case you want to think that it doesn't deal with us as well. Now, whatever you want to think about the Russian Orthodox's belief, it's got to be something when the head of the church sanctions violence as a means to an end. Don't tell me there's not still wicked tenants in the vineyard. So in the text, we have these two kinds of powers, two kinds of ways of being at play. We have this absurd way of the landowner or the absurd violence of the tenants. And whether it is some uh, Pharisee and Herodians trying to trap Jesus, as we see in, in verse uh, chapter 12, verse 13, where Jesus is given the question about taxes and, and the power of the state, or whether it's the Sadducees trying to mock Jesus about his authority and his uh, knowledge of the way of God in chapter 12, verses 18 and 19. All the religious attempts are to assuage loyalty from Jesus back to them. And they're doing it in an incredibly underhanded way. They'll do whatever it takes. There's going to be unholy alliances between the Herodians and the Pharisees. Anything it takes to get this guy to paint a picture of Jesus so egregious that the crowds will soon turn on Jesus and say, crucify him, crucify him. Remember a few weeks ago we talked about power and we begin to see it bubbling to the surface again. When the disciples, we saw it then when the disciples were trying to create this administrative status for the kingdom of God and they were playing into a narrative of the world about what power should look like and shockingly for the disciples it would look rather like the kingdoms of the world more than like the kingdom of God. And so within the parable 
In this last section of Mark 12, we get a different kind of power at play. It's a kind of power that feels absurd. I like what Andy Crouch says about this power and this idea of violence in his book, Redeeming Power. And he he plays off this quote from C. Wright Mills, who says, the ultimate kind of power is violence. And we may say, that makes sense. But what Andy Crouch says is, violence is the ultimate distortion of power. So there's an idea that there can be another kind of power at work besides the power that we see in the wicked tenants. And we see kind of what this distortion of power looks like, don't we, in the temple elite? It's a power that knows what the law says in Mark 12, 32 and 33, right? The scribe looks at Jesus and says, teacher, you got it right when you said that it's love the Lord with all your heart, soul, strength and mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You, you, got, it, you got it right. And yet within this encounter with the scribe, And Jesus brings the Shema and neighbor together. What's interesting is the scribe seems to know that the two commandments are incredibly foundational to God's work in the world. That God's power is to be rooted in this love of God. But this guy who seems so close is still so far away. The guy who who seems to get it seems to not really get it. Because in the very next section, notice what Jesus says here. They, the scribes, the chief priests, the elders, devour widows' houses, and for the sake of appearance, say long prayers. They will receive great condemnation. Jesus tells us what kind of power they manifest. The scribe might know the law, but they don't embody it. When Jesus added the love your neighbor command to this, he was adding a buffer. A buffer. Think of it this way. He was adding a governor. Something that we wish all teenagers could have on their cars. Slow them down just a little bit, right? He adds a governor to those in power. Love your neighbor meant that Israelites would leave crops for the widows. That they would leave crops for even the foreigners. And the powerless. The Israelites would not create or sanction laws which the powerless were left with nothing and the powerful could steal through abuse of position. Read the prophet Amos and you get a picture of what the elites in Israel were doing. When we get to the final scene of the widow and her pennies, we have this moment of the powers colliding. We are met with a temple full of powerful people and a woman willing to give her very last. A woman who believes in a different kind of power. God's creative power. And by the way, a creative power that should have been emanating from the very institution in which she was giving her last two cents to. An institution that was charged with what? Taking care of the widows. Taking care of the poor. And taking care of the orphans. The witness to the creative power of God is going to come very soon. It'll be witnessed in the cross, the final work of the violent power uh, as it does all that it can 
to Jesus. And yet, did you notice what Jesus said in this passage that we read? In Mark 12, 10, and 11, he quotes Psalms 118, 22 through 23. It's a psalm that points toward David, but but Mark kind of reappropriates it and places Jesus in the front and says, through the rejection of the Son, through the brutal violence upon the Son, through whatever the world can throw at Jesus, God's going to build a new building in that rejected one. God will raise the rejected, and the vineyard will be restored in the risen Lord. The community of the risen Lord, then, as we begin to see, is given a new mission to tend to the vineyard. And so I have to, as we, I talk to tenants of the vineyard, what power are you using today? Because what Andy Crouch says, continues to say about this idea of distortion and violence is, we today find ourselves as a crossroad. We can either continue to do what the tenants were doing that Jesus talked about. We can continue to go the way of violence, or we can go the other way of power. The kind of power that's creative. A kind of power that restores and builds up human flourishing. And so the question for us today is, which one are we living in? Because Jesus seems to say that the creative power will come out of loving your neighbor. There's a clash today of powers in the world. The power of violence versus the power of love. And we are called to the vineyard today to witness a new kind of power. A creative power that brings resurrection out of death, that never believes violence has the last word. The world, uh, the Father will know who's His by how we love. And so stealing from another gospel, John, he says this, by everyone, by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Jesus tells us that the disciples of the resurrected Lord will be those loyal to the vineyard of God. Which, by the way, is not just in this building. But if we read the psalmist, it's the earth and everything in it. And so as we read Mark 12 today, if we place ourselves as the tenants of the vineyard, How are we tending to the vineyard? What power are we playing by? Because when it comes to it, Jesus says, you can do it the way of the wicked tenants. It's going to fall on you. Or you can not just know. Because by the way, these tenants knew, love your neighbor, love God. But Jesus is saying, I called you to attend to this thing. It means getting busy. It means planting and watering and pulling weeds. How are you doing that? Because as we've, I think, seen throughout all of this, whatever starts growing (laughs) is how we're going to see what we're doing. Are weeds popping up? Or do we have, well, in a few weeks, lilies coming up? I think that's our call today.
We can look at this and be like, yeah, Pharisees, bad. Yeah, scribes, bad. Yeah, blah, 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 blah. Or we can look at ourselves and be like, I wonder which tenant I'm being today. Which power am I playing with today? Love your neighbor or the power of violence? It's a tough one to think about. If you have any needs this morning, if you're struggling with anything, if you find yourself kind of just barely holding on, let us be people who tend to your life. Let us be people who get our hands dirty with you in your life and love you and take care of you. If you have any needs this morning, come now as we stand, as we sing. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. When he shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I then in him be found, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand, all other ground is sinking sand. Thank you, Russell. Very good lesson today. I have several prayer cards. Um, I'm going to try to read those as <laughs> best I can, and um, we'll spend some time in prayer for them. Um, the first one is Annette Childs. She's going to have surgery on her wrist Monday, so we want to pray for the successful surgery there. And um, we also um, want to pray for the Burroughs family. There's been some loss in their family and so um, we want to pray for the Burroughs family. Uh, and then um, Marlo Henry's dad is sick and in the hospital. We want to pray for his quick recovery. Of course, continual prayers for the Ukraine. And then I was attended to this one, um, James Riddle, who is Michael Seibert's cousin. It's a Keith and Janet's nephew. He's on stage four colon cancer, and he's in ICU. And um, so he's uh, running septic, and so... We want to continue to pray for him also. Um, so let's go to our Father in prayer at this time. Dear God, we're so thankful for the power of prayer. We're thankful, Lord, that you give us this avenue to approach you and to pray for those that we love and that we care about. We pray also, Lord, that you would watch over those on our prayer list that are in our bulletin and that those names we don't want to forget and just Pray, Lord, that you would continue to watch over them. Pray that Annette's uh, um, hand surgery or wrist surgery will go well Monday and that the doctors will be successful in helping her wrist back to recovery. Pray for Marlo's dad that he will be out of the hospital quickly and that he will have a quick recovery. Pray for the Burroughs family and the, the loss of family members and just pray, Lord, that you would watch over them and comfort them at this time. And also, Lord, we pray for James Riddle and that, that if at all possible that he could somehow pull out of this and that you would comfort the family and, 
and be with them, their, that family. We're so thankful, Lord, that you give us the power of prayer again. We're thankful, Lord, that you watch over us and you have a greater plan for all of us. And pray, Lord, that our hearts will be with you as we seek to join you in heaven someday. It is in Christ's name we do pray. Amen. Let's stand as we close in song. I stand to praise you, but I fall to my knees. My spirit is willing, but my flesh is so weak. Light the fire in my soul, fan the flame, make me whole. Lord, you know. in my heart again. I feel your arms around me as the power of your healing begins. Your spirit moves right through me like a mighty rushing wind. Light the fire in my in my heart again. Have a great week.